most of you know that uh, I read a lot of the surveys about the statistics of our denominations, our religion, our spirituality, and I always follow the George Barner. I'm leading up to something I want to share with you. Uh, and, and I think they're the most truthful and the, and the best surveys I've ever read spiritual world. But not long ago, and I shared this with Sunday school class, and they'll hear it again. But I was reading a poll by the Gallup group. You've heard of the Gallup polls, and they are pretty good predictors of elections. Uh, but they were predicting something that was uh, on most of the people's mind that go to church. We are at an all-time low of church membership, probably in our lifetime, church membership is as low as it's ever been. And I guess they thought it was some reading that people would, would, would want to know why. So Gallup went around and interviewed a lot of people. And the people they were interviewing were people who were regular church attenders. Doesn't say anything about their spirituality or whether they were Christians or not. But they were church attenders. And they interviewed them trying to find out. Why people would drop out of churches, church, uh, people dropping out at epidemic uh, measures. And they wanted to know the number one reason why a person would attend church most of his life. And all of a sudden just drift cold and dry and just drop out. And when I read the, the number one reason, and I know my Sunday school class knows this, I was expecting something about the preacher was boring, the preacher preached too long. Uh, the choir didn't sing good enough, or maybe I like to play golf on Sunday, or I like to go to the beach. Uh, I see that a lot. Uh, and maybe I want to do other things. That was not the number one reason, and I think it may surprise you. The number one reason that the people dropped out, according to Gallup polls, was that the church, the church, the people in the church had lost their zeal for a movement of God in our churches. They felt like churches today were merely playing church, were merely being religious. And they said they didn't want to be a part of that. This is, this is the survey. This touched me and it touched a lot of people. It touched the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. And before that, it touched the Southern Baptist Convention because they're aware of all of these polls. And so they started back, some of you remember, I think it was year before last, at our convention, our state convention, not this past year, but year before last. They started a concerted effort to reverse the downward spiral if you would, of church memberships. And and they started this effort uh, to see if they could turn God's people, not sinners. My message today is to the church. The church has to be revived if we're going to win this world to Christ. And this is all of our messages about today. But they started this. Now, if you read Bible history, and I've done a lot of that recently, from... Ever since time began, uh, there's always been God's people pulling away from God, growing cold, growing indifferent. And God's always doing something, bringing something to get them back, turn them back to you. And so 
they, they, they could have picked it from the Old Testament. They could have picked it from the New Testament. But they picked their efforts from something that happened in 1970. And if some of you are interested, you can get in your computer and, and, and Google, if you would, the Ashbury College Revival of 1970. This is what the Baptist State Convention and the Southern Baptist Convention, they, uh, uh, Convention, that's what they picked this to do. This is something that happened in Wilmore, Kentucky. You'll read it sometimes. They, they started a chapel meeting one morning that they did every morning. But the power of God, this is in 1970, the power of God came down in that chapel service. And it was supposed to last 50 minutes. But the service went on for 185 hours, nonstop, round the clock, day and night, never stopped. That's almost eight days. After that was over, it went on intermittently for months and months. They sent over a thousand teams from this little spark, move of God in this, in this, in this, in this little chapel. This, this college had a, had a seminary and had a regular college, but they sent a thousand teams, witness teams out in that area and hundreds of thousands of people were won to Christ through this. Uh, the, the program that they started was called Broken Before the Throne. Uh, it's taken from Acts 3 and 19, and it says a lot in these few words. And this is what our convention year before last was all about. And Acts 3.19 says, Therefore, repent and return. We're talking about God's people. We're not talking about sinners that's not on the way to heaven. It says, so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Uh, as I said before, never before in the history of our country has there been a greater need for the church, you and I, God's people. To seek him with clean hands and pure heart. And we're seeking that revival and a spiritual awakening in our churches that would reverse this, this spiral of our church membership in our churches. The reason we're ha- having to close the doors of 6,000 churches a year, pastors are staying, uh, in, in their, in their ministry less than two years and they're gone. Uh, we, we're trying to change that. God invites you and I, his people, to return to him with genuine repentance, humility, and the word is brokenness, to experience God's mercy, his forgiveness. Once we've got that, then we get restoration. He restores us to that place that we ought to be, and he gives us that time of refreshing. You've heard of the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. This convention came up with the, uh, the, the four R's. And they are repent, return, restore, and refresh. And this is what it was all about. Uh, repentance is a change of, of heart, a change of mind. And this is accompanied by genuine grief over the sin in their life. 
And I know some of you say, well, I don't have sin in my life, but I think we do. It involves both personal and corporate repentance. I've read a lot of these revivals that, that took place in the Old Testament, uh, in, in, in the corporate scene. Nehemiah has got some. John, First John's got them. Ezra, a lot of them. We won't go into that today. But there's a lot of personal ones. Proverb has it. First John. I'm not going to go into those. I, this is just one out of all the ones in, in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it talked about getting God's people to repent. When the people of God pull away from the heart of God, then what we're talking about is going to happen. God will have to send a remedial or a corrective punishment to his people. He's got to get us back. Since since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, God has set forth a plan which involved the coming of the Messiah to get God's people to return to him. And this is one of the efforts that he's doing. This is what the Southern Baptist Convention are doing. They're trying to bring God's people back to that place of, of rightful worship. When we see God's judgment, when we see it come upon us, as, as throughout the Bible does, it happens during times of moral decline, of spiritual indifference in our churches. And that's what we're talking about. Worldly compromise. In our churches. I'll mention something about that in a few minutes. God's judgment has come in many forms over the years. We've seen drought. We've seen barrenness. Pestilence. Affliction. What do we see today in the world we live in today? A lot of us thought maybe 9-11 was that God's trying to get his attention of his people. Maybe it is. We see floods. Our times experienced it. We see many of the things that we saw in the past. One thing we're seeing that we're wondering if God is really ready to come, get his people out of here. We're seeing the influx of Muslim people in our nation today. Uh, 600% increase in the population of Muslims. And look what happened to Virginia Beach the other day. An engineer making 250000 a year decided he wanted to kill some Christian-type people. This is, this may be. This may be God's telling us something. Folks, it's time to get our church right. If we don't get our church right, we're not going to save the world. We're not going to do it. That's what he's telling us. I believe that our our country and our churches involved have pulled away from the heart of God. It's obvious. All of the surveys that I read are leaning towards that. The only hope we have today, folks, only hope we have, is a heaven-sent, Holy Ghost-filled revival in our churches. And it has to start first with me. It has to start right here. I can't, I can't win anybody until I get my life. Oh, I'm, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven as you are. But we're not where we ought to be. We're not where, all of us can stand some repentance. I'm gonna share some experiences with you in a few minutes. One that I had never seen before. Let's mention who needs revival. I just talked about that. Who needs revival today? Well, sinners don't need to be revived. They need to be saved. You can't be revived unless you've been vived. 
So we're talking about the saints of God need to be revived. We need to come back to where we ought to be with God. I'm going to read, I'm going to read to you from 1 Peter, 4th chapter, verses 17 through 19. For the time has come that judgment must begin where? At the house of God. Judgment should begin here in the house of God. And listen what Peter says also. And if it first began at us, us Christians, if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? If it, what's it going to be like for the sinners? If, if it just first began, the 18th verse says, and if the righteous, you and I, if we scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Think about it. Folks, if, if, if us Christians today barely get by, some people describe that our clothing might be smelling a little bit like sulfur. We're so close. We just barely make it. If we barely make it today, what are the sinners going to do? This is what Peter's asking us. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing and unto a faithful creator. What's happened to us? John talks about that in Revelations 2. And I'm going to, we're talking about the church at Ephesus. And I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. Uh, I, I'm and, and it's talking about the church of Ephesus. I don't want to read too much, but I'm going to start with the second verse. And it says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them that are evil. He's telling them, I know you works. Talking about the church. You hate evil. You, you don't like people that don't do good. You, uh, that you, you're looking good in that way. And thou hast tried them, uh, uh, that are apostles and are not. That means false apostles. You've tried them. You find them guilty. You're doing good in that area. Just like most churches today are doing good in a lot of areas. And has found them liars. But there's more. And has borne and has, uh, has patience. And for my name's sake, God's name's sake, hath labored. You've worked hard. Churches are working hard today. You've worked hard. And you've not fainted. You're doing good. This is what he's telling the church at Ephesus. Nonetheless, verse 4. Nonetheless, I have somewhat against you. Because you have left your first love. Who is your first love as a Christian? It's God. Do you remember when you first got saved? How good it felt? How close to God you were? Most of the churches today. I have to look at me. I say, me too. Am I as close to God today as I've ever been? Am I as close to God as I was when I first got saved? If not, guess who moved? It's us. The church. It's moved. I'm going to read some from 1 John. Now, a lot of people says, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I haven't sinned. I'm on my way to heaven. I am too. We haven't sinned. Well, what does John say about it? I'm going to read John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
talking to the church today. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Whom God loves, he chastens. We know that. We're talking doom and gloom to some of you today, and I know it is. It's not a pretty, our world is not in a pretty place today. Do you ever like to reminisce of how it used to be? A lot of us are old enough to remember some of the things that I remember. I like certain times to go over what our country was not too long ago. And one of my favorite things to talk about, I think it aggravates me, is back years ago when our country had not spiraled so far, old glory was never, our flag was never stomped or burned. Do you remember that? Why? Because of what it stood for, what it meant to us. Another one of my great, I guess, peeves is is our national anthem. I've quit watching professional football. That's just me. I can't stand to watch people play ball in a country where we can take athletes that can't read on a third grade level and we make they make a hundred million dollars a year and in a country that will treat them so good. They can't stand for what represents our freedom, our, our, our national anthem. Think of all of, of, of those who can't, they take a, a knee and they won't stand, uh, for our flag. The symbol of freedom, the symbol of sacrifice for our veterans who have given the ultimate sacrifice for the freedom that we enjoy today. I remember and I'm not putting down our, our Wednesday night prayer meetings. Our Wednesday night prayer meetings are better than I've seen in a long time. I'm so thankful. But I remember when Wednesday night prayer meetings was great. They were really prayer meetings when people would really come in big numbers. And people would get on their knees and pray. Many times they would pray long and loud. And many times those prayers would be punctuated with tears. Of sorrow for lost family members, for friends that were heading to a devil's hell. I remember those days. They were good. Thank God for our prayer meeting. We've had some good ones here lately. I remember when the church influenced society instead of now society influencing our church. This was a good one. I remember, hasn't been that too long. When marriage was one man and one woman. Our church. Churches. Not our church here. Churches in general have a lot to do with that. I remember when there was such a thing as shame. And it has a lot to do with what I just mentioned. You see our politicians that have been elected by our people. That right Bills that affect our worship, our freedom, and they're married to their own kind. They're, they're, they're almost making love on national television and it's sickening. And yet people in our country are electing them to high office to, to, to change our laws and our constitution, to make it, to make it where our preachers are not soon won't be able to preach. 
I remember when the church had authority. But they don't anymore. They're writing more bills and bills to affect our churches. I remember back then when preachers were not afraid of men, but they were afraid of God. Today, by and large, across our nation, preachers are afraid to preach the true gospel because it hurts some people and they'll get you out of here. You'll be gone in two years. How does these people run these mega churches? And I, I've always mentioned his name and I'm ashamed of it. Joel Osteen, one of the biggest churches down in the States. Do you think he keeps that many people coming if he didn't tell them what they wanted to hear? He's just a yes man telling his people exactly, not what God says, but what they want to hear. And they keep coming. People want you to tell them what they want to hear. And that's what we've got. It's hard for a preacher to stay anymore if he preaches the true gospel. Our nation, again, has spiraled into moral decline. Into something we call spiritual apathy. A lack of emotion. That's what our thoughts are about. Broken. God says he like he, he will not despise a broken and a contrite heart. The whole theme is broken before the throne. But our, our nation has a lack of, of emotion and interest. In other words, spiritual indifference. As we think of revival, and I think that's what we need, I think about uh, Second Chronicles. Uh, 7.14, and most of us can quote it by heart. I call it the revival chapter. I've spoken on it quite a few times, and probably Dr. Tarkin has more times than we've got fingers and toes. It goes, if my people, God's people, church, I know it was written for Israel, but in under the new covenant, it affects us as much as it did Israel. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. God's people, we have to recognize our failures. And once we recognize our failure, we have to manifest sorrow for our sins. I'm going to read one of the best repentant prayers that I've ever, that I've ever seen. And it's, you, you, some of you know it by heart. It's, it's Psalms 51, and you know the great sin that David committed. And I'm going to read some of, of his prayer of forgiveness, of repentance. If you want to read how he really felt, read Psalms 32. It was a, it was a Psalm of, of someone in distress. Uh, after he recognized his sin, he was in distress. You read that some. I'm not going to take time to read it. I'm going to read Psalms 51 as much as I can. This is what David is saying. A man after God's own heart. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy love and kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He recognized what he did. He didn't fault nobody else. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only. Have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight? That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David knew he had to be judged because he had drifted from his first love. 
Behold, I was shaken in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thy desires truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a plant that was like a Brillo pad, and you scrub yourself to get yourself clean. This is symbolic of hyssop. Scrub me with hyssops, and I will be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness in the bones which thou hast broken. May rejoice. Spiritual bones. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of of thy salvation. Folks, when we get cold and indifferent, we don't enjoy the joy of our salvation like we did. You might not go to hell, but you're not going to enjoy the joy of your salvation. Then will I teach transgressors uh, the way, thy ways and sinners shall be converted. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. Uh, thy, uh, o God of my salvation, and, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Lord, open thy my lips, and my mouth shall show forth praise. For thou desireth not sacrifice. That's not what he wants. Those people were offering sacrifices. He says, thou desireth not in burnt offering. This is what the sacrifices of God. This is what my whole thoughts are about today. This verse right here, and I'll stop with this, uh, in, in this stuff here. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise. That's what our church today needs. I'm going to share real quickly. I know our time's going. I'm going to share at our convention. I've shared a little bit one Wednesday night after I got back. Bobby asked me to share just a little excerpt from it. But the last night of that convention, there was about 2,000 people in that auditorium. And this was the emphasis right here. A broken and contrite spirit. They asked the people, the delegates and the pastors alike, to break up in groups and pray for ourselves first, our churches and our nation. And I've never witnessed, I've been to a lot of Pentecostal meetings and, and seen what they do. And you see churches like Charles Stanley and all the big Baptist churches now. They're all waving their hands and they're praying out loud. All of them, they're going to it. But this is what we had. They broke out in groups and it was, it reminded me of what Revelation says about heaven. Sound like the sounds of many waters. These were pastors. These were not Pentecostals. These were pastors that were praying for themselves, their church, and their nation. They were crying out loud. And and they had put aside the first thing we Baptists have to do. Put aside our pride and our inhibitions. And you would never know it was a Southern Baptist convention. But they prayed. 2,000 people. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I'm not saying that we have to act like Pentecostals. We don't have to do that. I'm just saying that we have to put aside our pride. I'm saying we have to ask God for forgiveness, repent, and, and then we'll see God's best.
If we're cold and indifferent as God's church, we're never going to see God's best for our families, for our lives, for our church. We're never going to see it. I have seen since Christmas, and I hope some of you agree with me, I have seen a lot of evidence of God moving in our church here in recent weeks. One thing that I want to mention, I wish every one of you could have been in our prayer meeting about two weeks ago. I'd never seen Ted Winslow get up before and testify. But he testified to a miracle in his life, in Todd's life. Uh, it was it was wonderful. I, I believe in miracles and I think they're still happening. I have seen a lot of evidence in our church. I've seen a lot of evidence of love and a spirit of unity. I see our church growing. I hope you agree with me. I know we got a long ways to go, but I've seen a lot of good stuff. I think we've got a lot of good things going. But I do challenge you today. As God's people, let's repent. We all need it, every one of us. And I think if we want our church to grow, if you want to see things happen, if you want to see a move of God in our church, and we need it, we need it bad, let's, let's change first ourselves and then pray for our church. And then we'd feel more like praying for the lost community. Let's close with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we do thank you. Lord, for your presence that we sense in this service today. Father, we thank you for this, your people. We pray, Father, that you would move right now among your people in this service. Father, touch the needs, whatever they are, spiritual, physical, financial, whatever they are. Meet the needs of this, your people today. Touch us in a special way. Move, Lord, in our hearts, in our community. Lord, bless this church. Cause us to grow more and more in love and unity. Bless us now, Lord, as we, as we sing our hymn of invitation. In your name we pray. Amen. The altars are always open. If you have prayer needs, we invite you to come. Dr. Tarkin, would you dismiss us this morning as we leave?